Awesome. It's great to be with you this morning. So um, I'm going to dive straight in today because I really want us to take some time to respond to what I'm going to share this morning. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was the most influential leader, both in the early church and the most prominent writer of the New Testament. Uh, Much of Paul's story is told in the Bible in the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. And it captures, if you're not familiar with his story, uh, his travels all around Europe and Asia as he seeks to bring the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible. You see, Paul had such a dramatic, life-changing encounter with Jesus that eventually he became like an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God in that part of the world. And we're going to look today at a a brilliant story, an inspiring story, a challenging story about Paul in Acts chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, turn it on or uh, or open it up. Um, I'd encourage you, bring your Bible. If you've got one, if not, it's going to be on the screens. But if you bring a Bible, then you can at least, um, you can follow along and you can make some notes because we're going to literally walk through this passage in Acts chapter 16. And and on this story, uh, Paul is with his friend Silas Uh, and Timothy and Luke, and they're on a second missionary journey, and they're in a place called Philippi, uh, which would be in modern-day Turkey today. And uh, and as we'll see, what what starts out as a really, really good day for them turns into a really, really bad day. And it's interesting to see what happens next when everything goes south. You'll know uh, that our theme for this whole year, as you can see on the screens, is there is more. There is more of God to encounter, there is more of God to experience, there is more of God to embrace. Like you and I will never ever get to a place, hopefully, where we're saying, I've figured out everything there is to know about God, I've got enough of God. There is always more. Jesus is inviting us this year to step out of a shallow end spirituality and he's inviting us to jump into the never-ending depths of his love and his power, his peace and presence. And that is that sense. I mean, I feel it. I hope you do feel it as well, that Jesus is inviting us to pursue him in a way that perhaps we never have done before for our good and the good of those around us. That we literally would become the kind of people in that, in that great song, which would be one of the many songs we sing this year about connecting with God that, that um, t- uh, the team led us in. I'm not here for blessings. As I don't know if you heard those words over communion. I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. And that sounds great, doesn't it? But what, what about that when the bottom falls out of your world? What about that when storms inevitably come, in moments when heaven feels silent, when you're feeling lost in the value? Can you still sing that song then? Because as we're about to see in this story in Acts chapter 16, which kicks off, uh, we're going to read from about verse 16 onwards, I I want us to explore this question, which is simply this. How and why should you and I pursue God, the God there is more, In the place of pain. How and why should you and I passionately pursue God in the place of pain? 
And so if you look in this story, you'll see from verse 16, and I'll, I'll pick up the text in just a moment, that um, Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, they're in this place called Philippi, and uh, they're being chased, they're being followed by this demon-possessed woman who is ranting at them as they walk around. And this goes on for days and days and days, and eventually Paul cannot take it anymore. He's really, really irritated, and he's not irritated by the woman, he's irritated by the spirit that's got a hold of this woman who is ranting at them. And even what she says is actually true like Paul thinks I don't want a demonic cheerleader thank you very much I don't I don't need that and so in great exasperation you'll see in the text he eventually turns around and just says in the name of Jesus come out of her he doesn't speak to the woman he speaks to the evil spirit and he sets her free and, and she gets completely free, but not just of the demonic spirit that has enslaved her. She also gets free from her human slavery. Because you see, this evil spirit has given her the supernatural ability to speak into people's lives and to speak into people's futures. And so she's a, she's a human slave. She's, she's slave to some masters who are kind of pimping her uh, spirituality uh, to other people and making lots and lots of money. And so when she gets free of the demon, she also gets free of that. The demonic is gone and now she's no use to her pimps. And let me remind you again at the, at the beginning of 2020 that Jesus is still, 2,000 years later, in the business of setting people free. He is absolutely in the business of setting people free. And, 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 I, and I love this story. I love just with the sound of Paul's voice, he looks at this woman and he speaks to the demon and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave her. And it just says, immediately it left. I don't know about you, but I'd like some of that authority to be able to speak to demons, to be able to see people healed, to see people saved, like, like that. Is there anyone in the house who would like that kind of authority? And what we'll see in this story is, I would suggest how Paul ends up with that level of authority to just speak in the name of Jesus and things change. Now, you can understand now, though, that because Paul has exercised this demon, this woman can't do this fortune-telling thing anymore, that her master's already ticked, and they are ticked. Look at this story with me from verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of those Jews. These Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So, of course, it's, it's no surprise that these guys are really, really happy. Their, their money-making machine is now no good to them. And, and by the way, 2,000 years on, in all the human trafficking that still goes on today, nothing has changed. They didn't see this woman as a person. They just saw her as a tool for making money. That's all she was to them. But now she's no good. And so because they're really unhappy about what she's done, they literally start to spark a riot. They're just like, these guys are bad. They get a riot going and they, they manhandle Paul and Silas and they start making some wild accusations. And before you know it, as we're about to see, all hell breaks loose for Paul and Silas. This great moment of deliverance and freedom suddenly goes pear-shaped. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Let's just pause for a second. Just look, at, look on the screens. Look at just what has happened. Look at what we've just read. Paul and Silas and, and these guys have just done this incredible thing. Paul has set this woman free. 
But not just that, like up to now, he's been faithful, he's been serving God, he's been seeking God, he's been setting people free. And what is his reward for this? His reward is he's violently stripped naked and humiliated. And then he's repeatedly beaten all over his body and Silas too, black and blue, within an inch of their lives by the angry mob. And then he's thrown, and Silas thrown naked and battered and bloodied into the coldest, darkest, grimiest part of this prison. And then he's restrained in excruciating stocks that were expressly designed by the Romans to cause as much discomfort and cramps as possible so that it would be impossible to sleep and rest. Now I want to ask you, if you're Paul and Silas in this moment, How would you respond to this? How would you feel about the people who treated you this way? How would you feel about the jailer who who it really emphasises in the text was very pleased to to make this worse? How would you feel, no doubt, about the inmates who were jeering as you came in? How would you feel about all those people? And how would you feel about God in this moment? Let me remind you again of the words of this song. I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. Like if you were Paul and Silas in this moment, could you sing that song? I just want you. I just want you. Or actually, if we're honest, would you say, if you were Paul and Silas, would I say, um, Jesus, I've been traveling, which Paul and Silas had been thousands and thousands of miles for you. Like literally, my body is wrecked. I've said goodbye to my hometown. I've left friends and families and the security of a good job. And I've served you hours and hours and hours, never knowing where the next bit of money's coming from. I've lived a hand-to-mouth financial existence. And you know, God, that I've been faithful in my tithe, that whatever money I've given, I've received. I have given at least 10% away and to your church. Jesus, you know me. You know I've cultivated the habit of regular prayer. I spend time with you every day. I share my faith with people. I've seen people saved. I've seen people healed. I've seen miracles. I've seen demons flee. I've done all of this stuff. And so actually, Jesus, maybe you owe me. You owe me. Look at what I've done for you. How could you let this happen to me? after everything I've done. So, so, so the truth is, yes, Jesus, I want you, but I don't just want you. What I really want right now is you to rain fire on everyone who's beaten us. That's what I want. I want you to immediately and supernaturally heal all these wounds. I want you to get me out of this prison. I want to be free. And once I'm free, then maybe I'll sing this song again. And if you're like me in these moments that maybe you're smiling and maybe that smile is nervous because the truth is all of us can slip into that thinking. I've heard so many Christians when when tough stuff come, they say literally, how can God do this to me? Like I've done this and this and this and this. How can God allow this to happen to me? And I get it because I've said those things too. But I've also said many times, as we've said in this church, that Jesus never ever promised that you and I would sail through our Christian life without struggles and storms and and valleys and suffering. In fact, he said that this world is messed up, this world is broken, this world is not as it should be. And because of that reality, Jesus says, tough stuff will happen, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. It's there for all of us. 
And of course, when trouble comes, the scripture is clear over and over again that we should pray, that we should give heaven no rest. We should believe for miracles and God to break in and things to divinely intervene. We should pray and we will pray at the end of this service for for any issues that we're contending with. But even if Jesus did not answer that prayer in the way that you hoped, and in fact, even if Jesus never ever answered another prayer in your life, let me say to you, he's already done enough for you. He's already done enough for you. I know that some of us right now, we have been or we are in or it's coming in excruciating suffering and agony. Like we just like, we feel like, where's the hope? Where's the opportunity? Like, how can I get myself out of this? We really feel that we are suffering. And I feel deeply for you if that's the case. It is hard and we should pray, as I've said. But the God that we are praying to, the God that we are singing to, the God that we are worshipping is a God who really, really understands suffering well. Because Jesus is the suffering God. And he suffered in a way that none of us in this room and 7 billion people on planet Earth will never understand, will never comprehend the depths of suffering that Jesus went through for us. Devastating. Nailed to a cross. Carrying, as we talked about on communion, carrying on his body and in his soul the very sinfulness, the very darkness, the very brokenness of all of humanity, including you and me. That on the cross, Jesus bears it all. He even bears death itself. Jesus Christ, friends, was utterly destroyed on the cross. Destroyed. Scripture says he was broken and beaten like no one else in all of history. And not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually on every level. He was utterly destroyed. Beyond recognition. Why? Because he loves us because he loves you and I so much that he would rather bear the full consequences the full brunt of all the hurt all the damage that you and I do by things that we think and say all of the darkness that we cause the suffering the struggle he would rather take all of the consequences of that on himself not just for you for 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 everyone who's ever lived so that that stuff wouldn't be on you it would be on him so that you can get free so that you can be restored into a relationship with God. That you can be forgiven. That you can have new life. And not just new life for now, but new life for all eternity. Because this Jesus, as we said, rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, that means that death is not a slave to you. It's not your, it's not your master, rather. So when you die, you know that you will rise again and you will be with Jesus forever in that new creation. This is called the good news. This is called the good news. It's good news. And Paul and Silas believe this with all of their heart. They believe that this was true, which is why the response that we're about to read that they make is, in a sense, it's wondrous, it's incredible, but it's not really surprising. Verse 25, it says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. What are Paul and Silas doing in the place of pain? And pressure. They are praying and they are praising. I mean, just this is crazy. They are beaten half to death. They are bleeding out all over the floor. Their body is riddled with cramps in splinter infested stocks. They are exhausted. They are tired. And there's no way that they can sleep. And what do they do? They worship. They worship. 
They sing out praises to God at the top of their voices. They sing hymns which declare the goodness of God. They refuse to allow the environment that they're in and the situation they're in to determine their response to God. In the natural, it seemed that they were hopelessly imprisoned in a dark dungeon. But yet in the spirit, they knew that truly in this moment, they were seated with Christ in heavenly places. So that their focus in this moment was not on what they could see or even feel and touch. Their focus was on, was on knowing we're with Jesus right now in the throne room. The early church father, Tertullian, who was also in the stocks years later, he said this, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And just to be clear, this, this doesn't mean in any sense that they've lost their mind. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is not them just trying to imagine. This is not really happening to them. This is happening to them. They are in trouble. They're in agony. It says that they're praying and they're singing. And I can imagine their prayers are real and authentic. God, we are hurting. God, we are bleeding. God, we are tired. God, we are aching. And yet, we declare, Jesus, that you are still good. We believe that you can rescue us from this situation. But even if you don't rescue us, we will praise you because we believe that either way, we're going to win. Either way, we're going to win. And so if we praise you and if we pray to you, then we believe that you can supernaturally heal us and break us out of this place. And if you do that, we'll just keep telling people about you. We're going to spread the good news. It's good news. So if, if that happens, we win. But if we rot and die in this place, then we're going to be with you for all eternity. So either way, we win. We got nothing to lose. And so we can pray and we can worship in the midst of the pain because either way with you, we win. And I want to remind you folks, whatever you go through in life, either way you win. Either way you win. That's why the writer in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, he writes these words, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, just pause like, that's a pretty bleak situation, isn't it? Even though all of those bad things are happening, he says, yet yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Like, what a juxtaposition. Even though things are terrible, even though life sucks, even though there's no hope, yet yeah, I will praise God. It's wondrous. It's what, Paul, it's what David says in Psalm 23, verse 4, the famous psalm, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me, praising in the place of pain. And so what starts to happen in this moment is that their spirits start to lift as they praise. And their heavenly song starts to reach every corner of this prison cell. And no one can sleep. No one can sleep. But what's interesting is we're not told what's, what's not happening. The other inmates who maybe jeered at them when they started coming in, it says the, the inmates are listening intently. They're listening intently. Because that's the power, my friends, of the song of the suffering. It gets people's attention. It gets people's attention. That when you can praise in the midst of the storm, like when all hell breaks loose, too often many of us give up on heaven. 
But when you hold on to heaven in the midst of going through hell, then people stop and notice because it makes no sense. I can remember a good friend of mine called John Brassett. Like, oh, this is over 10 years ago and John was dying of terminal cancer. And he used to work in the prison service and, uh, and he just had this supernatural peace. Not that he was going to be healed. He was pretty sure he was going to die. He had this supernatural peace. It was, it was ridiculous. It was crazy. And the cancer did take him. He did die. I led his funeral. But it was remarkable, this peace that he had. And his prison colleagues, they just couldn't get it. They just couldn't understand it. How can you have so much peace in this storm, in this struggle that you're in? But, but he just understood this bigger picture that Jesus, either way I win. If you heal me of this cancer, I win because I can testify of your goodness. And if you don't heal me, I get to be with you either way that I win. The world is watching how we handle our suffering Is this faith that we have real? Do we believe in Jesus only when it's going well and when things go hard, then we just, we blow up? But of course, in the story, it doesn't just capture the attention of earth. It captures the attention of heaven. Because remember what we talked about in the little if series just before Christmas. And we talked about that heaven is attracted to praise, that God only comes when he is welcome. And one of the things I've certainly discovered is this, that when we praise God in the midst of pain and agony, that is the most authentic, the most real, the most vulnerable, the most honest form of worship that we can ever have. That really attracts heaven because heaven knows If you are struggling, if you're going through the storm and yet you're still holding on to God, then the resources of heaven rush in for you. It's never more real. And so verse 26 was told, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaking to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew off and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Like This this is now a supernatural encounter with God. It's like heaven roars into this prison like a lion, friends. Every cell, notice this, every single cell door is immediately opened. Every single one, not just Paul and Silas's. And every chain is broken. Every prisoner has their chain set free. It happened for everybody. Now just pause a second, because if we can get this, this is, this is incredible. Nudge someone next to you and say, come on, wake up, this is good. Is, there, is anyone with me today? Am I preaching to myself? Are you there? Okay, cool. It's good. This is, this, this is awesome if you can get this. When you are committed to pursue God in the place of pain, when you praise and worship him, our praise can release a level of freedom, not just over us, but over other people as well. But over other people as well. That, that when we experience freedom for ourselves as we pursue God in the place of pain, other people, there's a ripple effect to, in us and to us. There's, there's a story in, uh, in the Gospels of when Jesus and the disciples, they go out in a boat. And uh, Jesus is with them in the boat. And there's this little line that says, and other boats followed. Like, you'll miss it. Other boats followed. So there's this, this convoy of boats, Jesus uh, with the disciples at the front, and then there's a whole bunch of other boats that are following them. You'd miss it if you didn't, and other boats followed. And then they get to the middle of the lake, and a massive storm breaks out. Some of you know the story. Jesus is asleep in the storm. The disciples wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that I drown, that we drown? And Jesus just wakes up and says, like, why do you have so little faith? And he gets to the bow of the boat, and he says to the wind and the waves, chill out. And it goes calm. But it doesn't just go calm for them. It goes calm for all the other boats as well. 
because other boats followed. Is anyone hearing me today? Like many of you will know the excitement that like in four weeks time, I'll be a married man, which is great. And yet the truth is, as, as you'll know, I'll be a remarried man because this is God's incredible kindness to me after many, many years ago, the toughest and most agonizing part of time of my life when I went through the pain of separation and divorce from my first wife. And, and, and though that was an agonizing time and heartbreaking, every day, often with tears, lots of cheers and support from other people, I, I held as best as I could, I held on to God. I held on to God. Sometimes praying prayers, I didn't even know were hitting the ceiling. Sometimes I prayed stuff, I just didn't even know if I believed it. But I just, every day, I chose, God, I surrender to you. God, you can help me. God, you love me. God, you'll bring me through this. And he did. That relationship died, but God's restored me, God's healed me, and I'm in a whole brand new book of life, which I'm excited about. But not only that, since God brought me through that, there's been a ripple effect as God has healed me in mine that he's started to open up loads of opportunities for me to help bring freedom to other people in their relationship struggles. Like just last weekend, I was away speaking at a conference in Northern Ireland and uh, going to speak. It was a, it was a youth conference with um, other adult stuff going on. And, and totally unexpectedly, last Saturday, I ended up chatting and praying with seven different different people who literally formed a queue all coming to me to talk about their relationship breakdowns and I didn't preach that but as the good news has been good news to me it's become good news through me as I held on with fingertips and weakness and brokenness as I as I tried to pursue God in the place of pain as I experienced freedom for myself that freedom of God started to set other people free too because that's what happens when you pursue God in the place of pain. It's good for you. It brings freedom for you, but it can start to bring freedom for others. It's what Paul talks about. God comforts us in our struggles so that we can then comfort others in theirs. So we can get to this place that says, God, if this storm that I'm in, if it doesn't kill me, then I know that healing and and freedom is definitely coming my way. I know I'm going to come through. And so I'm going to praise you for that reason. And I'm also going to praise you because I know that the breakthrough in me will release breakthrough through me into the lives of other people. And I want it. I want to praise you. And that's what I love about Paul and Silas, that they are God-first people. They are ultimately all about God. Whatever happens, we're about God. We're about God. God is the very center of our lives. We are about God. It would be amazing in 2020 that you and I could have that resolve where we could say, in 2020 and for the rest of my life, I am about God. First and foremost, God is not a compartment in my life, but I am about God. I'm inspired and challenged by some of our, our friends in the Muslim faith, who if you say to them, you know, who are you? Say, I, I'm a Muslim. And, and their, their faith, their religion of Islam, it literally feeds through every single part of their life. It's who they are. And yet too often for us, our Christianity and our response to God is just a part of our life. But God is saying right to us at the beginning of this year, in the good times and the bad, be about God. First and foremost. And if you're about God, then Paul, like Paul and Silas, then you'll be about people. Because Paul and Silas are more committed that people are saved than they're saved. Because genuine sacrificial love for God 
brings genuine sacrificial love for people. See what happens next. Verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer rightly thinks he's doomed. Like it's pitch black, the lights aren't on, he hears all the doors open and he thinks to himself, like, I'm in trouble here, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my life. And so he decides to kill himself. And and so Paul, again, he can't see it, but he hears the sound of the sword coming out and he cries out to the jailer who was unkind to him. He, He could have thought to himself, no, actually, yeah, let this guy kill himself. He treated himself, me so badly. But the, but his enemy, he cries out to his enemy and says, don't, Do it. None of us have escaped. We're still here. And none of them had escaped. Not even the other prisoners. It was like some supernatural thing where they were all captivated in their cells. They were all free and yet no one moved. Such was the presence of God. Paul and Silas could have used this moment to escape themselves, but they are more committed to save people than they save themselves. And when you ask someone who's about God, even in the place of your pain, even in the place of your pain, You can be about other people. Verse 29, I'm nearly finished. The jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think about this. This this guy, this jailer, he's, he's seen Paul and Silas praising in the place of pain, refusing to leave, saving his own life. And he realizes these guys have got something I don't have. And he falls on his knees and says, what must I do? Like you, you have, you're bound in stocks and chains, but you're more free than I am. How do I get this freedom? What must I do to be saved? And verse 31, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And verse 32, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And if you look on, the story goes, the whole household gets saved. They get baptized. And then what happens? Paul and Silas go back into prison. They put themselves back in the stocks. But the following day, they're set free. They're set free. Even then, they're more about people than they are about themselves. I want to close and just ask you to think about the power of praising and pursuing God in the place of pain. The power of doing that. The power of the impact that it has on other people. The power of the impact that it has on yourself if you do it, even through tears, lifting your spirit, that you can still feel free, that it can still be well in your soul even when you're in the valley. The power of even in that place, not getting to a place where you think, God, I will love other people. I will share Jesus with other people when you fix my life. But actually saying, even in my brokenness, even in my woundedness, even in my struggle, I'm going to firstly, I'm going to be about God. And secondly, I'm going to be about people. Save people, heal people. I, I, I know people who've got like gifts of healing that God uses in that way. And they have physical issues that they've never been healed of. But they pray and they see loads and loads of people healed. And they're cool with it because they'd rather other people were healed and saved than themselves. They want to see God move in that way.